When I eventually move the, the German washing machine to the uh, San Jose area, I'm thinking it has to get renamed uh, the Handshake at Center Ice. <laughs> we're gonna, <laughs> That's pretty good. We're going to locate it inside of uh, the HP Pavilion, and um, you know, it, it'll, it'll be like in the... Does hockey have the equivalent of the 200s? What's the, what's the uh, Alaska Airlines Club level of SAP Center? Well, they have the BMW Lounge. Yeah. That's that's uninspired. Doesn't the uh, Audi has a thing at AT and T Park? Not the other name. It's like the Championship Circle. Well, well, no, Salesforce has a thing called like the Championship Suites. This is not interesting. Um, so yeah, we we have two things we need to talk about at the beginning, but I assume we have to talk about hockey first. Go Canucks, go. Um, <laughs> yeah, up until you started trying to convert me to the Sharks, and again, I think this thing is going to last maybe another four games. Um, I'm sorry, my enthusiasm, not not their playoff chances. I, I was going to say, hey, 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 hey. I mean, my enthusiasm for it. Because you were right. There's very little um, other than Popovich or no. the Who's the guy who got taken out in the middle of the game? Starts with a P. Pavlovic? Pavelski? Sure. Other than that, there was very little fighting or, or hockey tomfoolery that, that normally puts me off of the game. So you, you were right about that where that's not um, that prevalent in the playoffs. I have, I have a couple things. I mean, you, you're welcome to recap the last, because I watched the second half of the Easter Sunday game and probably the last two thirds of the, of yesterday's game. And it was, it was pretty good. Yesterday's game was actually fairly exciting. And it sounds like it, that was, if you were going to watch a game, that would be one to watch. I mean, yesterday was one of the most exciting sporting events i've ever watched particularly a game in which i was you know a fan for one of the teams Mm -hmm. i mean there have been like you know there was the new england atlanta super bowl from a couple of years ago where new england had this huge comeback but you know i didn't really have a horse in the race as you would say well you'd have an in that one you'd have an anti-horse in the race (laughs) (laughs) but you know last night obviously you know have become a big Sharks fan the last handful of years and the way that they came back in the series, especially winning game six on the road and double overtime. And then the thing with last night's game was, you know, there was so much excitement going into the game. You were so happy to have a game seven, but then to fall down three to nothing in the third period you know, there there was a couple of minutes in between Vegas scoring that third goal and then Pavelski going out, which then resulted in the five minute power play where it was really just you were just really was running out the clock. It was really just like, man, I, I can't believe the season is over. You know, we, we got so close to making the comeback. And so to go from that to then, you know, taking the lead, but, but then giving it back. And then eventually winning in overtime. I mean, it was just, I mean, exciting doesn't even begin to describe it. It, it was pretty good. Even, even the Canadians I follow on Twitter were, were talking about it, which, which, which just says something. Um, yeah, so a couple of things. So the, can, can I speak candidly about your team? No, no offense mm-hmm. intended. Sure. So, so they don't deserve to win, right? Like game six was not good like i think for the for the period and also with hockey it they need to make four periods the three period thing doesn't really make sense but 
in game six, they weren't really playing that well. And it feels like they sort of just kind of lucked their way into a game seven. Fair? They they were significantly outplayed for pretty big stretches of game six. Yes. But the thing with hockey is, especially with the playoffs, a lot of it comes down to goaltending. And, you know, that was that was the reason why the Sharks actually fell down in the series early was because Martin Jones, their goaltender, just had a really bad games two through four. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's really what swings a lot of these games, particularly the ones where, you know, maybe you're getting outshot. And that, you know, that was definitely the case in game six. Well, yeah, I think the the Sharks just weren't throwing enough numbers at it. But, you know, I think... um, (laughs) Conversely, it was sort of the opposite last night, where through the first couple of periods, you know, the Sharks were out shooting Vegas, they were out playing Vegas for pretty good stretches, yet they were down three to nothing. And that's, you know, the, the margins in hockey, especially within the playoffs, are just really, really small. So, well, and, and five to four is, is a high scoring game in hockey, right? It, yeah. And it, it was, it was a high scoring series. Um, you know, the Sharks scored five or more goals, I guess that was three times. So, um, and again, that's just kind of, kind of the way it goes sometimes. Yeah. So a few things, um, where where are my notes? Um, yeah, I, 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 I think I've, I, I've identified a, a bit of a problem with watching televised hockey is that, um, would you say that the people who announced for the Sharks are um, beloved or well or good at doing it? Oh, very much so. Yeah. I'm going to have to disagree. Or or were, were there different people announcing Game 6 versus Game 7? Well, so it would depend on whether you were watching the NBCSN broadcast, which is the national broadcast. And a lot of those guys I'm a little lukewarm towards. Um, or if you were watching the local broadcast then that that's all the same crew and they're they're fantastic. I was watching channel 723. Ah, see that's you went wrong there. That's NBC SN. So that's the national broadcast. So that's it I guess because I the game 7 announcing was dramatically better and game 6 was um you know the thing people always make fun of soccer for where people are like just uh like it's 90 minutes of somebody trying to yell goal like it, it's kind. It was kind of that where like they just were doing a really unenthusiastic job of hoping to be about to say something exciting. I don't know. Like it, it Saturday Sunday's game was was very bad from an announcing perspective, but apparently I was watching the wrong channel because yeah, game seven. Well, but also again, game seven seems like ideal circumstances because it was legitimately a irrefutably exciting event. Yeah, but you still you still got to watch it on uh, seven twenty one the the local. The local broadcast. Well, Comcast owns the entire stack. Why are they showing me? Why, why, how is it possible for me to listen to the wrong game? How are they two channel numbers separate? No, you know, that's actually a good question. I don't know how playoff rights work because I know that like with the NBA during the regular season, if there's a, well, in, in this area now, I mean, growing up, it would have been Laker games being in Southern California, but up here with Warrior games, if they're on... ESPN or TNT, that broadcast will get blacked out and you have to watch it on the local broadcast. But I guess that is not the case come playoff time. 
Well, yeah, because there's like three or four different Comcast Sportsnet channels for some reason. Well, and that, yeah, that's also been confusing. It, it'll be actually, it'll be a non-issue sorry, going NBCSN forward. Now, or whatever. Right. Um, it'll be a non-issue going forward because local broadcasters only get to show round one of the playoffs and then starting in round two, it, it's all just on national TV. But yeah, with this first round with the local broadcast, it was really complicated because, you know, there's baseball going on right now. The Warriors are in the playoffs. And I think it was even the case with like game one of the Sharks series. I think it was like actually still the end of the regular season in the NBA. So it was like, I think the night of game one, it was like the Sharks, the Warriors, the Kings, the A's and the Giants were like all on. <laughs> and so that's where it gets really tricky because there's this like overflow channel that they have that, oh, they, only, yeah. that they only use when, you know, a certain number of teams are playing. Because um, there's only supposed to be two, right? There's the main Comcast Sportsnet that has the Giants and the Warriors. And then there's the one that has the A's and the Sharks. Right. And like 95% of the time, that's just the way it works and there aren't any conflicts. But in this kind of early spring timeline where it's the end of basketball season, it's the start of the NHL playoffs, and it's the beginning of uh, baseball, you, you sometimes get these nights where, yeah, <laughs> it's just too much going on. Huh, these nights. Mm. Um, yeah, so a couple other notes. Um, yeah, hockey doesn't really make sense a whole ton. Does neutral zone and center ice, are those different things? Uh, center ice is in the middle of the neutral zone. The neutral what? zone is, is, so center ice is the red line, which is, as the name implies, in the very center of the ring. So how many feet does it extend? Because they refer to center ice frequently, and so therefore, how? what is the difference? Um, I mean, crossing center ice is generally just a notation that the puck is going towards one zone or the other. But, it, I mean, center ice is literally just the red line, you know, down the middle of the ice. And then the neutral zone is in between the two blue lines. Got it. And the blue, and the blue lines are the start of each team's zone. And the blue line is also what determines... If somebody's offsides? Uh, offsides, correct. Yeah, I've got a crash course in being offsides. Yeah, that, that's... Well, and, then the, and then the other... I guess the other context that you'll hear center ice in a lot is a player has to get to center ice before they can then dump the puck towards <laughs> the other team's zone. Otherwise, it's icing. Yeah, there's a whole lot of terminology that doesn't make any sense uh, because because <laughs> uh, like I it's like it's like a Mad Libs thing. Like it, you can airmail something, you can you can neutral zone something, and apparently it's very important to make stuff a foot race game. Those are all things yes. I learned. Uh, mm -hmm. Also, last two things. Uh, I don't I don't like them calling uh, the players numbers. That seems weird and dehumanizing. And also, uh, I find it unsettling that uh, the people, whenever they allow more people to become active players, they just like climb over the, the, the fence. That seems I don't know. I don't know why that feels unsettling to me. Well, there's there's not a fence. But there's the thing where uh, they they just they, they don't the, open the, the little door. They just oh, they yeah, they climb over yeah. the little like the the guardrails or the um the bumpers. I mean, 
I mean, I I do that in the games that I play in. That's not a that you know even us <laughs> amateurs. But how do you not fall over? Well, I mean, it's just I don't know. You're on ice. Right. You know, nobody Zamboni right before that. I don't know. It seems. <laughs> and also the Zamboni has a personal injury lawyer, a lawyer ad on it. It's, 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 it's I don't know. <laughs> I think there's needs, uh, maybe hockey is, is somehow more and less prestigious than I thought it was. It needs, it needs higher quality uh, sponsors. Um, yeah, I think it's it. Oh, and then one of the announcers or one of the, one of the, uh, uh, not the announcers, but the hosts of like the intermission thing. Uh, he's very Canadian. And I find that fun. Mm. Yeah, you get some of the broadcasters who are like that too, and it's it's pretty enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I seem very excited. I'm not talking about the Oilers or the Maple Leafs, but they're they're still very excited to be there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think that's it. So who knows? Uh, so wait, who? And, and uh, again, it couldn't have happened to a worse team. Uh, Las Vegas and T-Mobile, <laughs> two of my least favorite things. Exactly. And also, Gordon Ramsay was there for some reason. So three of my least favorite things. <laughs> so go sharks go mm-hmm. um so who are they playing so they are playing the colorado avalanche next are uh, what's the matchup are they better or worse on paper so so the the sharks are better on paper um because in the previous round the avalanche played calgary who were the number one seed in the West mm-hmm. and, uh, and Colorado upset them. So seeding wise, the sharks should be the better team, but I mean, Colorado played really, really well in that first round and they won the series in five games. So they've had like a week to rest and, you know, <laughs> the sharks have had quite the opposite experience over the last week. So it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a challenge, like all all these series in the playoffs are. And is the guy who got roughed up and caused the um, the comeback? Is he okay? Has been no no word on him. Uh, there's a there's a weird dynamic in the NHL where so in football and to a lesser extent in basketball, you can actually get fined if you don't dis- disclose injuries. Um, like you have to be very specific generally about what injuries players are going through, but in hockey, you don't have to be. And in the playoffs in particular, teams get really, really secretive about the severity of injuries and whether a guy is going to be coming back in in a particular game or not. So when someone gets hurt, like Pavelski did, you just, you don't really hear anything about them until you know they until they come back mm-hmm. yeah what what stays in the dressing room stays in the dressing room uh, all right um and then yeah let's, uh how's the democratic primary season treating you i'm only bringing this up for one reason actually well i want to know what that sigh was for before i bring up the two things that are going to be very sigh worthy so i will you watch some CNN town halls? No, 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 no. There's I don't don't watch CNN. Um, Not enough bourbon or, or any or any cable news. Um, no, I'll be you know listening to like five thirty eight, and you know be really in the weeds on some of this primary stuff, and it'll it'll dawn on me. I, I had this happen to me yesterday where I was on a walk listening to a five thirty eight podcast. 
and I was thinking like, Jesus, it's not even May 2019, and like, this is going to go on for another 20 months? It's the, it's just, it's a lot. And it still kind of feels like we went through it. Like 2016 somehow feels like yesterday, but then also like 15 years ago. Well, yeah, but this this gives ample time for all the Democrats to tear each other apart because uh, one side isn't woke enough or not woke in the right way. I think maybe that's another problem that I have is I just don't think I really love any of the candidates yet. You don't love Mayor, Mayor Pete? I will admit I don't yet know enough about him. Well, I have something from his website that'll tell you what uh, something about him. Um, so they had a thing, and I think even Gruber called this out, but somebody uh, somebody on Twitter caught something before, maybe like the site was still in a beta stage. But apparently all all the design nerds on Twitter really like Mayor Pete for whatever reason. And they have this whole website, uh, design.peteforamerica.com, where they have like custom typefaces and a whole bunch of other stuff. But when they were showing like what uh, font or typeface is representative of Mayor Pete's uh, bland, uh, I don't have any positions stance uh, in the race. Uh, it's just a, like a, a alphabet soup or like just a word salad of just nonsense. So their example phrases, social entrepreneurship, circular thought provoking rubric, problem solving, engaging relief through leadership. Uh, it, it's just absolute garbage. So, and I think it's really uh, representative of somebody who people seem to really like, but also doesn't actually stand for anything. Except he said he would call for impeachment because Elizabeth Warren said it first. Hmm. So yeah, so Mayor Pete, he he's a uh, bland and somehow uh, in my neighborhood, people already have uh, Pete 2020 bumper stickers, even though he hasn't uh, stated what he actually thinks about anything. It's pretty good. Hmm. Um, and then there's one other thing. Sorry. I, I like, I don't dislike, like, I think he's a, co- a cool person. Like he seems like a cool person, but he like, he's one of those people like who, who else is it? Like, I mean, Kamala Harris actually does have, um, a decent history of reasons to either like or dislike her policies, even though I think it's, it's fairly shallow, but he has almost nothing. Um, he was, he was, he's like, he's like, what, what was the guy in Parks and Rec? The, the calculator guy. You watch Parks and Rec, right? Oh, that was so long ago. I I'm really bad with character names. Uh, Ben Wyatt. Oh yeah, yeah he, he reminds me a lot of him. Hmm. Um, and then the other thing is this is a dumb Elizabeth Warren thing. Uh, you know, whenever Branson's birthday is, I'll get him a consumer watchdog, Elizabeth Warren collar. Her merch, her merchandise website is the worst. This is bad. Um. I'm going to put this in the notes, but I don't feel good about it. There's a mug that says persist, but first coffee. It's $25. I don't like that either. Uh, She's got aprons too. I just, it's the worst. And, and um, have you ever donated to a political campaign or, or gotten on one of the, actually I'll give you the, I'll, I'll give you an out and you don't have to say that, but have you ever somehow ended up on a candidate's email list? You know what? No, I don't think so. You should try it someday because it's the absolute worst. Because you'll get these emails where even if the candidate's doing really well, it, it's just bit in the every uh, email subject line is written like is written by the candidate, and it's it's it is and it's it, they do like a mail merge and they know your name and they just say like Carlos, we're in trouble here, like and it's from like Nancy Pelosi or something. It's just it's it's just asking for money. 
it's it's so disappointing and and, and annoying. Um, like I even had to unfollow uh, Barack Obama or, or Biden. The the twenty twenty Obama uh, sorry twenty twelve I wish twenty twenty the twenty twelve uh, Obama Biden campaign because those emails just got too out of hand. Well, see, that's another benefit of Twitter is because when a campaign puts out a particularly ridiculous email, mm-hmm. someone will usually post about it there, and I can I can see it there. So I basically I just get the highlights, but without getting all the spam. Yeah, but then you have to be on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's well. I mean, there's you know there's there's a good side and a bad side to everything, Carlos. Yeah, well, but well, I don't know. He, he uh, sounds like it sounds like a campaign email. I think I think Jack is on it. He's 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 meeting with important people. Mm, yeah, there's one guy. He's he's sad. He lost some followers. <laughs> that that fucking it, Jack's stupid beanie. I I, yeah, I I I just can't. I can't really involve myself with thinking thinking about him. I I listened to that hour and a half long Bill Simmons podcast with an open mind really wanted to give him a chance. It actually got off to, I thought a fairly good start, but then as things went along, you know, you're an hour in and you've realized that you just haven't heard anything and that, yeah, we, we've talked about it before. I don't want to rehash it. Can I make a controversial, uh, but very, very apt, uh, comparison? (laughs) That's think That's what we do here. Right. Um, also it's, it's, uh, Odd for me to describe it as apt before I've actually said it. Um, Jack Dorsey and uh, Pete Buttigieg have a lot in common. They both think a lot and they both say a lot, but they don't actually say anything. But Mayor Pete cannot be possibly nearly as obnoxious as Jack Dorsey. Right? <sighs> That's just not possible. He had that thing where he answered a Norwegian uh, news reporter's uh, question in Norwegian. Yeah, that see, mm, that doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me, but it's it's like, I mean... I understand we're super bummed out about having a, sh- a shitty president who's not a very worldly person and just wants to eat filet of fish and, and tweet about Fox News. But I don't think we give people free... Like, again, he doesn't stand for anything. Oh, I, I don't... Yeah, so therefore, I don't like, think... the fact that he knows multiple languages doesn't... I don't care. Yeah, okay, that's, like we're, that's we're, we're grasping at straws for people who aren't the worst. Uh, happy T word things. Let's talk about the, I, what, what, uh, what do we have? Do, do we talk about the happy ones here? Uh, sometimes we do. We talk about Spindrift. That's not really a T word thing though, is it? Is there a, is there a tech angle to Spindrift? I, I, I think they have probably did a lot of good AB testing to figure out, <laughs> um, uh, how, how to do sparkling water as a service and, uh, make bourbon cocktails and stuff. Again, I like I'm very pleased with their social media and their um their web presence. Like they get their target consumer. Well, so speaking of, I have a new flavor review for you. Mm-hmm. So I've I've kind of gotten in the habit now where whenever I'm grocery shopping, I'll just take a quick little peek down the sparkling water section just to see if there's any spindrift. And so at the local Safeway this last weekend, there was literally one case of Spindrift in the entire store across all the different flavors. And it was a case of orange mango, which I had not had. Quick clarification. Were you saying there were many price tags and spots for Spindrift and they were sold out or they had very little shelf space? No, the the, the former. Oh, so this, this is good. This is good market research. So I tried it mm-hmm. and it's fine. 
it's it's not um it's not bad it, i wouldn't say it's great it, i think it's fine what's the ratio how much how much if, if it's too mangoey that maybe might be problematic so that was the thing that i was most curious about and it's pretty darn 50 50 i would say it's mm, half and half <laughs> one one might say that it, it's sort of orange on the front end and mango on the back end they can they can put that on the box they yeah, you were just one. angling for a show title no nah, i feel like we organically come up with those i feel like the problem that we have frequently is you send me the list of titles and i'm like well shoot there's a lot to choose from here so i, I, I don't think we need to force that here all right mango on the back end got it okay <laughs> so i haven't i haven't done the gin test with it i say i don't know if i've actually said this on the show but i feel like you really can't properly judge a spindrift flavor until you've tried it with gin yeah well i mean the like 90 percent of your spindrift intake is probably not alcoholic right it is well 90 percent is is non-alcoholic yeah that's what i'm saying oh sorry oh, okay. in, in, in case i wasn't clear i said non-alcoholic if it's if it's in the rever- if it's in the reverse, and that's <laughs> yeah, that's not not great. But that's so not great. I hold on. Let me let me open up their website because I can't think of what um, cocktails go with orange mango. Uh, tropical breeze. Oh, sparkling margarita. Mm. Ooh, orange mango. Mm. Okay. All right. So what 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 have you tried, or you've tried nothing yet? I I have not tried anything yet. So that's I. You can't you can't fairly judge a spindrift until you've had it in a cocktail. So I'm not I'm not here to formally rate the orange mango. I'm just I'm just saying here that first impressions were just kind of so so. But also just another example of how I don't know if the reach of this show is just far greater than what we give it credit for. That's but that's that I one's mean, it. The, <laughs> the the run on spindrift, as we've previously discussed, just it just seems to be getting worse. It, it just it's out like of stock everywhere, everywhere I go. Yeah. Um, so they, they keep moving it around at, at, uh, I was just at Target earlier today and they, yeah, they, they keep moving it around, but they have the core flavors in stock. They were, they were out of stock on lemon, which lemon, which was a disappointment, but luckily half and half was, was there an ample supply. Um, and, and, and the, the core flavors were there. So what, what are the, give me the core flavors. Well, so generally I'll buy, um, six case, uh, six, eight packs every 10 days and then <laughs> I will, I will get two half and halves. Um, one lemon, one lime, one raspberry lime, and then um, the other one. I would like to try the lime. I usually like lime flavored stuff, and the the ra- the raspberry lime one I have. It was part of that Costco pack, and it you know it it's it falls into the orange mango camp. It's it's fine, but it's not great. I've already provided you a money back guarantee. Go pull the trigger on some half and half. No, Mm-mm. why? I really don't like tea i will proactively I'm, I'm going to unsolicitedly send you four dollars in square cash does that way your guilt <laughs> does every time you go to any type of grocery store you'll be like god damn it this, this is ill-gotten money this is yeah so it's it the half and half remind me it, it's half tea half lemon mm-hmm. and i just mm-mm. <laughs> my like my family growing up really liked sun tea what is sun tea so you brew it, you literally just brew it in the sun. Like you, you get a jug of water, you, you know, you put the tea in and you literally put it out in the sun for, I don't know, an hour or two or something. So 
if something happens that could not have happened indoors? I don't, I don't really know. I don't know if the sun speeds up the process or or what the deal is. Um, but I just know that I did not like the end product. And now as an adult, I've tried various types of tea, hot tea, cold tea, usually like in times where I maybe try to cut back on coffee a little bit. And I just, I just don't really like any kind of tea. I, I chai tea is is like sort of okay if like you put enough sugar and stuff in it, Oof. but but like just any kind of plain tea, mm-mm. I'm just, it's not my thing. So I mean, I, I'd mostly mostly agree with you. Like I learned there are a couple of Japanese teas I I, I like, but I generally don't like tea. Um, what, what's what are your thoughts on an Arnold Palmer? Uh, yeah, not, I'm just not not really a fan. I think that's made hmm. usually with sun tea. I just I'm just not. Any kind of tea flavor, it's just not not my thing. Unless, I mean, again, unless you put like enough honey or sugar or whatever in it, but then at that point, I you know, I may as well just have like a soda or something. Mm. All right, and then rounding out this uh, impromptu, still or sparkling. Uh, also, they made a, gr- a new gross flavor. They have they haven't shut down uh, bubbly after their failed Super Bowl ads and and their their. Um, there's every part of that that's gross. They're doubling down on the grossness, and they've made a pineapple bubbly. So as a connoisseur of pineapple-flavored products, I, I do feel somewhat of an obligation to try this. And you, and you won't try the half and half, you monster. <laughs> well, I, if I try the pineapple one, I'll, maybe I'll try the, the half and half, too, just to uh, balance things out for fine, you. Fine. Uh, you you don't need to be hyper specific or anything, but where did you find that pineapple? Probably? Oh, like PepsiCo is paying for prime space at the Centerville Target. It's on an end cap and everything. Got it. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 whatever. Um, I mean, yeah, that's pineapple's gross unless it's in pineapple upside down cake or actually, I think that's the only good appropriate use of pineapple. Keep it off of pizza. Get out. Um, you don't like just plain pineapple. Not really, no. I don't like sweet things that much. Hmm. Yeah. All right, T-word stuff. Um, yeah, well, we got... Uh, oh, well, actually, I'll, I'll, you're driving this week, so you, you, you do this. All right, well, let's hit some of the T-word follow-up stuff first. So, I don't remember, did we really talk about the Galaxy Fold here? I feel like we must have at least brought it up sort of in passing. We did. We we tried to frame it as uh as though everything that happened up until the screens broke and then we talked about the screens and then Joanna put a video review out. Sorry, friend of the show Joanna Stern put a video out, mm. review out where she put a New York hot dog in the middle of it and then that's, you know, it's it's $2000 hot dog bun. Is a Galaxy Fold a hot dog or a sa- Wait, what is it called? What was the debate about the hot dog? Is it a sandwich or not? Correct, yeah. Was it? It depends on who you ask. I'm asking you. I, I do not think a hot dog is a sandwich. And I think I think to imply that it is a sandwich is absurd. What is it? A hot dog is its own food group. Okay. There is, it's, but a food group can't contain only one item. Of course it can. No, it can't. Yes, it can. No, it can't. It, it, it most certainly can. It certainly can't. You can have a variety of different types. Like I would put like hot dogs and sausages and things like that in a food group. Well, but they're not. Well, I'm not talking about dicing up a hot dog for a four-year-old. I'm talking about like what happens when it's in a bun, and you know what what happens at Costco stays at Costco. Like, I mean, that kind of stuff. Anyway, nice. Galaxy it's not, it's not Fold. It's ridiculous. 
so the, yeah, the Galaxy Fold. Um, reviews or review units started getting seeded about a week ago. And there were a ton of different reports about the screen being damaged, like within a day or two of use. And there were even some stories from German and others where I guess the phone comes with some type of screen protector on top of it, which looks a lot like just the kind of like temporary protectors that come on iPhones and basically any other type of gadget that has a screen on it and the difference with the fold is if you took it off then like the um entire screen would basically stop working in the next day or two i feel like maybe, maybe we did talk about this part of it well i mean we did and and i will i'll push back a little bit and not i mean not to samsung credit like it's still like probably not a great like if it's that fragile it's something something's wrong but the screen protector they install it's not quite like the iphone where i mean the iphone if you it, it it has little tabs on it that show you that you need to pull it off and it covers up the cameras and the um the earpiece and stuff so if you leave it on like the phone won't work right so i like i mean they just need to be they need to be way more front up front if that was something that was structurally important to it like maybe there was a screen protector on millennium tower that somebody pulled off and that's why that's happening like i don't know maybe they need to be more explicit about it but yeah the, the bad things started to happen um to multiple um very high profile reviewers like it wasn't just like some guy at the ver or like um like Dieter bone at the verge was one of the first people to talk about it and then like joe and i was like oh yeah me too and then mark Gurman's like me three so it, it it was it was not great so the news here is that um samsung first they announced well first when the bad things started to happen samsung issued kind of like a say nothing press release says uh we're, we're gonna inspect these review units and see what's up everything's full steam ahead everything's great and then there was the thing about Samsung is going to delay the launch by like two weeks in China. And then um, the worldwide delay came out. So when is this supposed to come out now? Also, the latest news now is June 13th. So it was supposed to come out this Friday, April 26th. And now June 13th is the date. Yeah. Um, again, I'm still uh, bullish is the wrong. Like, I, like, I mean, again, it's cool. And like, again, Samsung was one of the first to big phones like that, like this, eventually the technology will get good. And like, I, I don't get the moral outrage of people like being like, like for $2,000, we should not be your beta testers, Samsung. But yes, you should. Like, I mean, if you're buying that phone, you, you are walking into that with eyes wide open. Like, you know what you're getting into. So therefore, like, I mean, no, the phone shouldn't break just by looking at it wrong. Um, and like you, the eight, literally, sorry, literally 8 million people who made the, you're folding it wrong joke. But like, I mean, you're, you're, you're getting what you expect kind of like shouldn't break, but also it's super bleeding edge technology and somebody has got to do it for, in order for Apple to, uh, rip off the idea and complain and claim they invented it in four <laughs> years. Cause you know, they will. So I, yeah, I don't really view this story with any sort of like moral outrage the part i guess i'm most curious about now whether well, there's a couple of different things one which gruber did a really good write-up of which i'll put in the notes which is it's just kind of hard to believe that a company like samsung with a with the resources they have and presumably the levels of review these types of devices have to go through it's kind of amazing that 
these review units were even allowed to get out there in the first place, which is potentially um, kind of indicative of maybe some larger problems within Samsung. And again, I would just refer people to Gruber's write-up on that. But then the other thing is now with this latest news of it coming out in the middle part of June, I guess when it got delayed a few days ago, I was sort of expecting this thing to get pushed out something like maybe six to 10 months, like a five week or six week delay doesn't really seem like much given that the problems with the phones don't seem to be very minor and appear to be kind of fundamental to the design so i don't i don't really know how they're going to resolve what these reviewers were seeing in a month they'll just i mean i'm no engineer but i mean you like double the thickness of that screen protector thing make it go slightly further to the edges and make it so that it cannot be removed but i don't think that little screen protector thing was the only reason these screens were breaking it seemed to be one of the major factors like some like one like one of the seven big reviewers said that oh yeah i left it on and it still broke i don't know like i'm sure they'll figure it out it's like it's samsung like it's not like their phones explode or anything (laughs) i mean i guess one factor here is obviously like if there was some kind of critical defect with a product like the iphone that ships at the volume that it does that's not something that you could correct in a month That, that that would take some number of months but presumably the fold is is not really being sold in that large of volume so maybe there is a little bit more um no pun intended a little bit more flexibility with um (laughs) with being able to uh jigger some things as you would say Mm -hmm. around uh on the uh on the factory floor yeah i don't know like apple has no right to throw stones i mean they had antenna gate with the iphone 4 which was a legitimate issue the iphone 7 has a fundamentally flawed antenna design that fails after three years so i i uh, I, iphone people cannot throw stones um all right uh so yeah the galaxy fold Uh, transitioning to apple stuff um so we talked about the qualcomm 5g apple modem thing resolution um last week but the one thing is there's a thing in the Washington Post where um, uh, that kind of highlights something that um, maybe speaks to Apple's, uh, I'm not sure if disingenuousness is the right word, but um, Apple throughout the, uh, the litigation process uh, was saying that, oh yeah, Qualcomm's uh, licensing fees are exorbitant and their technology isn't very good. Um, and that's what they're saying in pl- public, but um unsealed uh, communications that uh, came out as part of the, the trial discovery or whatever uh, pointed to Apple's uh, admitting that their technology was the best. So again, like that, I mean, like this, this is probably not our, our, what we have the most expertise in, but it does speak to the fact that Apple probably uh, doesn't negotiate in good faith a lot. I'm not saying every big company has to, um, but I, I just feel that it's, um, worth noting for people who will just jump to Apple's defense and that Apple can do no wrong at every turn. Well, and that's sort of that last point sort of important because I don't think anything in this wall street or um, Washington post article rather is anything that, you know, basically every other corporation does. I mean, everybody, you know, 
talks out of one side of their mouth with certain people and then the other with other parties. But as we've, I feel like, talked about ad nauseum here, Apple is held in higher regard than most companies. And I think maybe what you're getting at here is this is an example of maybe why they probably don't deserve that. Yeah, it's, I mean, you know that old saying where everybody says, I mean, this is, uh, this always has been used in developer circles. So you can kind of adjust this to like this type of negotiation, but it's always, there are three, like there's a priority hierarchy of three things with Apple, Apple first, customer second, and then developers dead last. So Apple's always looking out for Apple. Apple doesn't give a shit about you. And, uh, right behind that, they really don't give a shit about their vendors or developers or any of that kind of stuff. And I mean, that's fine. Like corporations are there to make money and that kind of stuff. But I think Apple has like kind of this weird undeserved reputation as like a really benevolent company. And like Tim Cook has been out there on his high horse uh, talking about privacy and all that kind of stuff because he because um, right now that's convenient to him and the business model supports that for um, like this minute. So, yeah, Apple cares about Apple looking out for number one. Right. Um, I still like my iPhone. I won't be able to get that wrong, but you know, just let's be realistic. Um, and there's probably uh, more of a me thing than anything else, but quick, uh, throwaway line here. Um, and you can put this in the notes, uh, Canon, uh, the, uh, Japanese camera company, and they do other stuff too, but it's, it's a lot of it. Their revenues does drive from cameras, um, is, uh, lowering their profit forecast for 2019 by 20% due to their shrinking camera sales. Um, uh, so yeah, just an interesting data point. Uh, one, I mean, that, a lot of that I think speaks to Canon um, having fairly high prices, a very stagnant camera lineup, and being very late to mirrorless cameras, uh, but also to the uh, greater thing of smartphone and computational photography being something that's um, good enough for most people because the majority of the uh, decreases in camera sales come from point and shoots. But with Canon specifically, a lot of it is also um, the higher-end professional market, which Sony's been doing pretty well in. But um, it's tough all over. Are you bringing this up just as a way of further validating your fancy photo scanner purchase? Scanner? No. Well, just in the sense that I think one of your points last week was just high-end photography stuff hasn't gotten any cheaper because the market is small and it seems like no i mean kind of like i mean i, I bring this up to, uh, to validate my sony camera purchase but um no i just think it's mostly that canon is just one of, like canon is very it's kind of i know it's not apple like i'm trying to like they 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 think they're kind of like um well no but ford just bought a electric car company or made a big a strategic investment in one but they kind of like they're like this is where we're making our money now and we're just going to stick with it forever and we're going to hold out on anything that might be the new technology. Like Canon, in a, in a few ways, is kind of like Kodaki, where they're like, no, actually, we're going to focus more of our efforts on how to keep making money off film rather than caring about um, like this whole digital camera thing. Like, I don't know. Like, I, it's just, this speaks to the broader camera market, how um, more and more uh, non-phone photography becomes more of a niche and professional like market segment type thing. Uh, but also just kind of uh, where smartphones are going. Well, it wasn't, I mean, they were really late to mirrorless cameras and that's obviously not helpful, but isn't the bigger thing with them too, that they just didn't really get into providing lenses for smartphone manufacturers, say in the way that 
like Sony kind of dominates that, right? Yeah, I don't know who makes the the camera lenses or the camera modules for current uh iphones but for a while um yeah apple was one of sony's biggest companies um like up until the iphone 6 i think i i don't know it's not still sony i thought it was i have no idea but i mean but yeah but for a while like yeah their imaging business helped subsidize so like lost like i mean they sold off their computer businesses um like the vio thing is like dead and done well, and I'm, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, plugged into the camera stuff nearly the way that you are, but like, you know, five or six years ago, I never, ever affiliated Sony with photography. And, you know, over the last half decade, I, I kind of now think Sony is sort of one of the leaders, I think, right? Yeah. They make cameras and they make Spider-Man. That's, that's what <laughs> And they, and they make game consoles that apparently, I don't know, maybe they're not all digital. Did we put in the show notes about the dumb Xbox thing? Can we? Maybe. Can, I was actually going to say that we kind of accidentally stumbled into a good transition. Well, so you, you posted a thing. Do you have, do you saw that tweet handy? You put, I do. Yeah, you posted mm-hmm. a thing where I made, I made the obvious joke. Maybe you can put a link in the thing because I don't have it handy. Um, but they made a thing called the, so there's, you'll clarify for me, but there's two, there's two or three versions of the current Xbox. There's the one S, which is the low end one, and there's the one X, which is the high end one. Is that accurate? That's that's correct. And then they had a one S, and that one cost three hundred dollars, I think. And then they have a new version called the one S, all digital edition or some shit like that. And uh, you you had a tweet where it showed those were the exact same price. And I made the obvious joke of well, yeah, they got to get rid of the analog ones first, obviously. <laughs> But yeah, that's that's kind of funny because the all digital one, the whole point is it doesn't have an optical drive, so therefore you don't even get the benefit of having a nice Blu-ray player. So, so here's the thing: is I, you know, I, let's put this out there first. I, this all digital edition of the Xbox, I think, makes a ton of sense and is is really smart and would be a good fit for a lot of people because I, you know, naturally over this generation of consoles, more and more game purchases have moved towards digital. And that's been a combination of people just continuing to buy games, but preferring to do so digitally just for the convenience of it. But then also with things like Game Pass, where you can just pay this subscription and you have access to these game libraries. And obviously that's that's all digital as well. So the idea is actually really good. The issue though is the the price just doesn't make any sense i mean putting aside this tweet even if you look at the xbox one s at its regular price of 300 and then compare that to the all digital edition at 250 like i just did a quick little google search to see what the going rate on uh 4k blu-ray players is and there's and which is really the only difference between the two boxes is that the one s has a 4k blu-ray disk drive in it and then the all digital version as the name implies does not and these standalone 4k blu-ray players still go for like 150 175 bucks so it just it's weird that only 50 bucks got cut off the the price and like i mean i i get that the drive itself is obviously not it's not a one-to-one comparison with the standalone player but i don't know to me the all digital version of the Xbox would make a ton more sense at like one ninety nine or even like one forty nine, but at two forty nine, it just doesn't seem like a very good deal. 
Yeah, wasn't. Yeah, I mean, is uh, what's who's the opposite of Sony or like Microsoft? Sorry, they make the Xbox. Like, hasn't their whole thing this generation been that they kind of keep like they had a vision for the Xbox and then the market kind of rejected that vision or they somehow didn't execute on it. So then they scaled back from it being like, wasn't the whole thing like you had a connect built into it and you talked to it by voice and it somehow was going to be a DVR as well. And it was going to do all this stuff and it was going to be $500. And then they just keep trying to like re re um, like they just kind of like reconfigure the model lineup multiple times over a generation. Well, so in the, in the initial announcement yeah they did emphasize connect and they did emphasize the fact that it had an hdmi in and an hdmi out and that it was going to be i mean that was that's the whole reason for the name right it it was going to be input one on your tv it was going to be kind of the hub for all of your uh digital content video gaming etc and um that that stuff actually did you know that was part of the launch you know the launch xbox one had the two hdmi ports it had connect i think connect was bundled right in the box but the part that got scrapped even before release was microsoft basically was going to try to move um their console gaming into kind of like the pc um model where everything was heavily drm'd um, you weren't you wouldn't be able to even like resell your uh, disc based games because you would have to install them on your Xbox. They would have to get digitally validated as like a one time use thing. So your your console would have to effectively then be online all the time. And people were just like totally outraged by that. Again, even though that's been the standard on the PC for a long time um, and and Sony. Uh, kind of opportunistically with the PS4 went totally in the opposite direction and kind of kept things in the status quo. And so Microsoft had to backtrack on that and they've really had to work over these last, it's been like what, six, seven years now. And they're like still trying to shake the negative um, publicity and things that were generated at the time of that initial announcement. Yeah, I mean, I I remember it also being like too expensive for some reason. With like, where they had that vision, and then they were like, "Oh yeah, well, like it does all this cool stuff, but it's just too expensive. So therefore, we need to find a way to like eliminate all the stuff that's making it not three fifty or whatever." Well, that yeah, I mean that was, right. That was the other sort of less problematic issue was um, because they were bundling in Connect. It was a hundred. I think it was a hundred bucks more than the PS4 at launch, and yeah, I mean like the 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 graphics across both systems were basically the same and a lot of people just didn't really care about connect so paying that $100 premium didn't make a lot of sense yeah um and then all those things that you cited for people knocking the Xbox 1 uh were moot because apparently people are fine with buying games that you can't resell or lend to friends anyway well yeah that's that's sort of the the funny thing is that <laughs> the, the the vision that they had in terms of being mostly digital with the Xbox One originally has has totally come to fruition, but it's done so kind of naturally as opposed to being, you know, kind of forced upon people at the start of this generation. Um, and I don't know the the other thing that I think is really interesting, and what's starting to ramp up now are kind of like rumors for the next generation of consoles and things like this all digital Xbox One S 
is a, is a sign of that too, because this is what happens every generation where in the year or two before the next generation comes out, the manufacturers start coming up with these kind of cheaper, simpler versions of their existing boxes. And I just, I think it's amazing that we're in the place that we're in because myself included, everybody was saying at the start of this generation that, you know, this is going to be kind of the last one, right? Like everything's moving to mobile. Nobody's going to want a standalone console anymore. And this has ended up being like the most profitable, um, most popular set of consoles we've ever had. And it seems like console gaming is actually like more popular than it's ever been, uh, which is, which is really interesting. And I, I haven't, I haven't read the piece yet that sort of takes a deep dive into how we've ended up where we have with this stuff. I, I, I'm still I'm still really surprised that console gaming has flourished the way that it has with the the Xbox One and PS4 and and the Switch. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't think that was on the agenda. I don't know where where that came from. Um. All right. A couple of quick things. Um, Slack's big icon redesign has finally come to their whole thing was they, they had to change the icon because it was too confusing and there were too many different versions across different platforms. Um, and now it's different on the Mac again as well. And it's 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 circular, not um, like a round wreck thing anymore. Uh, I don't know. It's just it's it's fun to hate on it, sort of. It, it's still bad. I don't know. I just I miss my plaid. I still have my Slack socks and I get sad every time I see them. Uh, Apple, I know, I don't want to talk about MacBook keyboards. It's, it's dumb and it's dumb. Okay. Uh, oh, hey, no, that we, we were skipping over that topic too. Great. Okay. Can we talk about two, before we get into, um, some angry Tesla stuff and podcasting news, can we talk about, uh, two of my, uh, white whales? (laughs) We, we certainly can. Yeah. Okay. Um, so sunscreen and travel chargers, maybe you can shed some light on this. So the first one I actually, maybe I will, um, pull forward again, not the right term. Um, where is it? So have you, have you ever found a good sunscreen that you like? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I've, I've got, I've got two. What is it and why? So for everything but my face. I will use uh, Banana Boat SPF 50, uh, preferably in lotion form. But if I'm in a hurry, the spray stuff works okay, too. Mm-hmm. And then for my face, I'll use uh, Neutrogena. I can't think of it if it has like a specific name, but it's it's like a SPF 100 thing. It comes in like a smaller uh container because it's it's specifically meant for your face and i i've i've i i get sunburn really really easy <laughs> but if i take the time and put those two on properly i i don't think i've ever gotten sunburn all right well i mean it, it's interesting that you make a distinction of uh, rest of body versus face um but yeah i've never found a sunscreen that i actually enjoy or that works well and it's one of the reasons why i generally try to avoid uh like out not outdoor activities. That's that makes me sound like like a hermit. Um, but stuff that's mainly in the sun. Like I mean, I like I'll I'll go like if I'm going to go for a hike or something where I know it's going to be super sunny. Like I will wear something that's like long sleeve and and um to to avoid getting sunburned because like I've never found a good one that I like. So so some some real time follow up. The so the Neutrogena. I just I send it to you in the thing. I'll put it in the notes. 
Uh, it's the Neutrogena Ultra Sheer Dry Touch SPF 100. And I, I, th- I think there's like a consensus that anything above like SPF 50 or something doesn't really make that much of a difference. And you know what? Sure, that might be totally right. But all I know is that when I put this Neutrogena stuff on my face, I don't get sunburn. So. Well, so it depends. Let's look at the ingredients list. Oh, so it has it. Okay, so he, so I've discovered something important, at least for me personally. So this Neutrogena one has uh, avobenzone, which is one of the things that's in most sunscreens. So my big issue with this is that um, most sunscreens, uh, after a while, like if you sweat even a tiny bit, um, it will start running into your eyes and it will sting your eyes. Maybe that's just a me issue. But um, there's a special uh, other class of sunscreens that you can find that doesn't have that thing in it and let me see if i can find what it's called so yeah it's gonna be uh, a pulled forward uh pick of the week um so it's called bear republic b-a-r-e uh mineral sunscreen um and it doesn't have any of that kind of stuff and it doesn't uh, sting your eyes and make uh, and uh, torture you. Yeah, so I don't. I haven't really had that issue with the Neutrogena stuff, except for when I put it on and then kind of immediately like go outside and don't give it at least like a few minutes to dry. But usually, if I put it on, I don't know, ten to fifteen minutes ahead of time, I, I don't usually run into any kind of issue where it runs into my eyes or anything. Yeah. So yeah, so that's a big problem that I finally solved, which is, uh, yeah, for anybody who has that issue, uh, look for a mineral-based sunscreen that doesn't have avobenzone, or whatever that's called. Um, regular old uh, Walt Whitman, or sorry, Walter White over here with, with, the, <laughs> with the chemistry. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's tricky, and this stuff, the problem is is that the stuff is expensive. So normally you'd get like a, what what, a, what is the size of the one that you sent over? Yeah, three ounces. Like the whole thing of like these mineral sunscreens, it's like seventeen dollars for something that's like a one and a half ounces. So it's a horrible value. But um yeah, does doesn't it make you your eyes red and, and you just wanna jump into the ocean at every moment. So Well, but the with, with the face stuff though, if you're just using it for your face, you, you know, even that three ounce size of the Neutrogena, that'll that'll last me quite a while. Yeah. Um, so now the thing that I do need help with or something that I have not solved is um travel chargers. So, um, yeah, you, you, you and me both. So you can, maybe you can help me work out this process, um, out loud. So my trouble is that here's what I need to charge when I'm, uh, traveling, even if it's a short trip or just like driving down to Southern California or something. So I have my laptop, which needs a 60 watt USB-C charger. I have my camera, uh, which is USB-C, but lower wattage. I have my work phone, which is USB-C. I have my iPhone, which is lightning and, and or wireless charging. And I have my Apple Watch. So that's, was that five things? I have five things I need to charge, three of which are USB-C, two of which, one of which is uh, whatever the hell the Apple Watch charges with, and then Lightning. And the iPad, I mean, it's, it's an iPad, so it probably gets left at home because I don't use my iPad. But I have, it's, it's impossible. I have spent hours uh, at 2 a.m. on Amazon looking for the correct, uh, item and i cannot like i i understand that i no matter what it's probably better and easier to just charge the laptop using the appropriate laptop charger so now i'm down to four devices that i need 
and there's nothing good. Like if you look for USB C chargers that um, charge re- like reliably in any particular way, you will gen. They only have one USB C port. Sometimes you'll get lucky and it has two USB C ports, but then it doesn't have anything else. Like I have not found a good compact charger that minimizes like the hotel room charging rat's nest of of hatred. So please help. Yeah, I've I've been kind of um rethinking my travel charging strategy as well. I mean, my my current setup really and I actually think I mentioned this with that backpack pick that I made last week was, you know, I have a separate backpack that I use just for when I travel and one of the reasons I like that or really the primary reason I like that is because I literally just have kind of a second <laughs> charger for each of my devices just in that backpack ready to go so that that I don't have to think about putting in three or four different chargers into my bag every time I travel because that's I'm in kind of the same situation as you where I haven't found like the the holy grail of just like one power brick I can bring that'll charge everything um there is a pretty good USB-C charger roundup on the wire cutter, which I just sent you a link of, and I'll put in the notes. It's been a little while since I've looked at this, and I, I don't, I don't know if if they recommend anything that has like multiple USB-C ports and maybe a USB-A port or two with the right wattages in the same power brick or not. But um, they have a they have a handful of options there. Well, so so here's my problem, which is um, if you look at like the just a picture on on the headline of that, is I don't want something that has another like like the cable that goes from the charger to the wall. I don't want something that I have to velcro together or tie up and that kind of thing. Like up until USB C entered my life, I had this nice little thing I got from a Motorola phone that was a little thing that goes in the wall and it has two high powered USB A ports on it. And that was great for a while. But then the Apple Watch entered the picture, and then my work phone became um, a Google Pixel, so that was um, USB-C. So I mean, the closest thing I've found maybe is the thing I just sent you, which does have like the little charging prongs built into it, and it has two high-power uh, USB-C ports on it. But then I'm still on my own, so then I now have to carry... I'm still going to end up charging. Uh, carrying three chargers, which is the laptop this thing for my camera and my work phone and then another two port like that's just it's too much yeah the the so the apple watch throws a wrench into everything because that that you really you have to have some kind of usb a you know charger for there's really no way around that and the cable is so damn long yeah that's yeah not not ideal um one thing that i've been researching and just haven't really had a super uh, strong need for because I haven't been traveling as much lately is they make and this this is not really exactly what you're looking for I, I just think it's kind of a neat little travel thing is they make uh, USB-C or USB battery packs now I guess I guess they have USB-C ports on them that also have Qi charging yeah I have one of those yeah that that seems that seems pretty neat it does, but I mean that's that's a thing that I I carry in my messenger or camera bag as like a backup. Like so, when I'm traveling, because I I used to be a big battery case person for my phone, but then I I just I I was like, no, I can just charge more frequently. So my iPhone eight just hangs out without that. But then I'll have that um, 
Mophie battery pack things so that no matter what device needs extra charging on the go, I can still charge it. But in terms of the, I just got back from the hotel room and it was a long day of walking around doing stuff. And I have empty batteries on like any of these four or five devices. I'm still, I'm still kind of up a creek. So this, this thing that you sent, this Aki thing, which I'll uh, put in the notes, this would be like for your Pixel and your uh, camera. Yeah. But then you would still need something separate for Watch and your iPhone. MacBook. Well, and for your MacBook, right? Well, the MacBook thing, I like. I think no matter what, I'm going to have to carry. Like, I, I'm fine. Like, if I just had one charger for everything but the Mac and then the MacBook charger, I'd be totally fine with that. But that's not what that is currently, because like what and like uh, I'm sure people are, are yelling into and yelling into their um, Amazon Echoes right now or on on the subway when they're listening to this is like they're thinking like well yeah just charge your camera on your phone through your computer dummy, but the problem is I've tried that and if I try it to charge the camera over my computer like if the battery is dead like it charges like imagine like if you were charging uh, like a, a Model Three through. Um, like a home like uh kitchen plug like it, right. it, if if my battery on my camera is dead um at nine o'clock at night and i let it charge overnight connected to my laptop it will be at 80 percent in the morning after charging for 10 hours <laughs> like the the power output on a macbook pro or at least a 13 inch macbook pro is not fast at all so yeah like i just i i don't know why this doesn't exist but like I would love to only have to carry two chargers, and right now it's uh three or two, but um it means I have to rig up some weird super shitty um like my Mac just has like a bunch of things hanging off of it, and I have to pray that it doesn't go to sleep or kernel panic in the middle of the night while it's charging the other stuff yeah i mean that's that's kind of the same situation I'm in, and the only solution I found for it is to just have. A second charger for each of that stuff and just have them in a bag ready to go yeah and then it but then the, the problem too becomes when you're in a hotel room and you've literally got like one outlet well yeah, <laughs> yeah. on, on the plus side most uh like actually like i've like a couple of the hotels i've stayed at recently have um an abundance of usb ports like apparently somebody got the memo that they should redirect all the funds that they were giving to ihome for 30 pin dock connector alarm clocks they are now instead spending on just having a bunch of USB-A ports that you can plug into. Like, I mean, that's great. But now that everything is slowly, uh, slowly moving over to USB-C, that advantage is, is quickly vanishing. So I don't know. So, somebody find me the product that I need or figure out. Like, I mean, because I shouldn't need a dedicated packing cube um, for just a bunch of random-ass chargers. Like, it's it, like that's just more stuff to leave in a hotel. And it's just, it's, it's, not, it's not fun. I mean, that was the whole thing. The USB-C was supposed to be the it, everything charges everything. Yeah. Uh, what I need is an iPad Pro that apparently can charge other stuff through itself. I've never, I've never actually used my iPad for that. I forgot that it even does that. Well, but you would, you would literally, because I mean, you have an iPhone, right? Or why mm-hmm. am I asking that? Um, because you would have to buy a USB-C to Lightning cable, which that's what is that like 800 dollars? it's 40 bucks because it's apple <laughs> i can remember remember the hierarchy um oh uh i know this uh we'll, we'll move on from this very soon but uh other sports thing um uh portland last night 
I, I, I do, do you, what are your thoughts on the trailblazers versus the thunder? Do, do people, people seem to hate the thunder and, uh, that seems warranted in my opinion. Is that warranted for you? Yes. I'm not a fan of Russell Westbrook. Oh, I'm, I'm more of a hater because, um, they used to be owned by Howard Schultz and they deprived Seattle of a, of a, of a, of a NBA team, but you just hate him because of Russell Westbrook and Paul George. See the other guy. Yes. He was the one that was talking shit about uh, the guy who won the game by saying he made a bad shot. Right. Yeah, that, that, seemed, that seems really well advised. Uh, when, when, you, when your playoff run ends and you just say, oh yeah, they, they won, but not in a very good way. Doesn't seem that prudent. Um, but yeah, yeah, you know, Seattle could still have the Supersonics. and I mean, they could, they could still undo it. I'm sure Jeff Bezos could buy a team. Can't they just repurpose whatever... Isn't Seattle getting a hockey team? Yeah, well, they're they're renovating uh, Key Arena, which is the where the Sonics used to play up there. Well, yeah, so just so Jeff Bezos buys the team back, calls them the Seattle Primes, and you just go from there. <laughs> uh, anyway, good game. Yeah, yesterday was a hell of a sports night. Yeah, it sure was. All right. Um, uh, so I think we probably have time for only we can we can make these both pretty quick. Uh, do you want to talk about the Tesla news or do you want to talk about the, um, the, uh, disruptor in podcasting first? Let's do the podcasting stuff first. Okay. So there's a new company called Luminary, uh, that has, uh, has banked a hundred million dollars in VC funding to disrupt podcasting. Um, so their whole deal is they are bankrolling a bunch of premium podcasts. And there have been a few people that have tried to do, um, premium audio content, like if you're an Audible subscriber, they have um, Audible Originals or whatever they're called. And um, there's Earwolf and a few other um, podcasting companies that are not just like don't like they don't just like do like a pledge drive or anything like that. They actually um, you pay to access the feeds. Um, and that's something that people have kind of complained about. They're like, oh, yeah, that breaks podcasting. If it's not like if it's now like a Netflix style thing where you have to go to somebody's app to listen to a show and it's not just like a regular old RSS feed. That's not cool. And I mean, that's a debate that you can have, but I think this particular company, um, is far more interesting and far easier to hate. And just to put my, my prior uh, innate silver parlance, uh, to put my priors up front. Um, I don't like this at all. Cause one, I like, I don't, I don't like, um, companies that, um, and this is kind of square spacey a little bit, but companies that just have a bunch of money and just can try to bully their way into any industry and pretend that they care about the customer. But eventually when the screws get turned in four years, they're going to have to figure out a way to fuck everybody over to make some money. So people actually get their 10 X uh, exit on the money that they put into this thing. So yeah, so they have a hundred million dollars and they are trying to create the Netflix for podcasting. And they have an app that, allows you to subscribe to all the regular old um, free and or ad supported uh, like traditional RSS stuff that kind of mirrors what the Apple podcasting app and directory does. But they also have stuff that has that's tagged with this little uh, yellow L icon for Luminary, uh, which is where you pay. I don't know how much it is. Is it $10 a month? It's probably $10 a month um, where you can pay for their premium service. Sorry, it's $8 a month. Um, and you can get premium podcasts from uh, Trevor Noah of The Daily Show, Leah Dunham, and a bunch of other people. 
Um, and like, and I'm not a, again, I'm not against the idea of paid podcasting or premium podcasts, but the fact that this is a VC backed company that also launched by saying, like, there was this whole Twitter controversy where they had a thing, um, with, you know, like the bunny rabbit meme where the bunny's holding a stick and in ASCII art and it said podcasts don't need ads. And then a bunch of people who have podcasts that are ad supported got really upset about it. Um, like, I, I don't know. It just, it's, it, the whole thing rubs me the wrong way. And they're trying to, it feels like they're trying to solve a problem that, but they don't want to solve the problem. They just, they think they have a solution, but their solution is only because it's a business that works for them. I don't know if any of that made sense. No, it, it did. And it, especially that last part about their mixed messaging around advertising. Because I think that that ad that you're referring to, they've, because um, you know, there's there's nothing better than criticizing advertising through an ad. I think they've kind of backed away from that now, right? Mm-hmm. Because you know, they ultimately, when they launch this thing, a, a huge selection of what they have are existing ad based podcasts. I think if they launched and literally all they had were these originally produced podcasts that you have to pay for, then it becomes a uh, much kind of cleaner message. And I, and I, I think a lot of this blowback that they're getting probably goes away. They, they probably get a lot of other blowback in the sense that it doesn't seem like the content they're starting with would really justify an $8 a month subscription, but that's, that's kind of a, a different issue. But I think it also kind of ties back to just the whole fundamental problem of this thing in general, which is clearly if they thought there was a established market for paid podcasting, they would have just launched with their own original content and then not tried to then also like lump in existing ad supporting podcasts as well. But by including existing RSS feeds and ad supported podcasts, they're kind of admitting that their paid platform can't stand up alone, which then gets back to the first point you were making, which is clearly what they're just trying to do is kind of corner the market, kind of suck the oxygen out of the rest of the market, and then kind of build up from there as opposed to just trying to enter the market with a compelling offering on their own, which clearly they don't have. Yeah. I mean, like, cause like there are different like schools of thought. And I think, um, one of the better, um, what's the, like, like champions of like one end of the spectrum versus another is I mean, like for, for better, for worse, like Marco Arment, like I know, like some people love him. Some people hate him. I lean more towards so like, I, I, I enjoy his opinions and I like him. Um, but he's also very blunt in his opinions, but he writes, uh, the overcast application and he's very like, um, De, uh, defensive about uh, companies that try to um, disrupt kind of the the way podcasting works in that it should be an RSS feed and you know that's what it is and it doesn't matter where you subscribe from you don't need to get because he was also one of those people that got really um, uh, bent out of shape over the NPR what was, what was the thing called where they wanted to try to get podcast analytics out of feeds I forget what the name of it was, but I remember that story. Yeah, but like they were uh, like they wanted to know like how far people are listening to it and like maybe try to get like demographic data and stuff like that. Where he he just feels like, you know, like let's just make the best application we can and let's people just like listen to whatever they want. 
and podcasting doesn't need to be crapified and made like the web where um there's like 8000 ad trackers and just everything becomes shitty cuz i mean like just look at the internet that's kind of what's happened so yeah i mean so you either have people like that uh which is the side i probably lean towards or like yeah you know, i mean you have your stitchers and your mid rolls and all these other people who feel like you know like i mean there's there's money to be made and there's um a podcast are kind of the next um like fertile ground to try to like get like ad tech and uh like big money into it but it just feels like i mean i don't know like if you want to make a netflix for podcast i mean whatever that's that's fine like i mean apple apple tv plus i mean they're gonna they're throwing a bunch of money at a bunch of premium content that doesn't really need to exist and and that's kind of like i mean there's some parallels here as well but you kind of uh i would see i would i would really push back on that why because because apple tv plus is sort of what i was suggesting luminary should have been which is it is it's literally just apple's original content they're not trying to mix in so like i agree a bunch of other free stuff into it no too. no we agree what i'm saying is that that's where it le- what luminary can be okay yeah, yeah. You, right okay so yeah. they, like they could go that way where they can just like they don't need to be doing this but they totally can and then they if they want to spend their money creating original content and hope people subscribe that's great but the problem is when you try to act like you are now what podcasting is like it's just, i mean it's like if apple was like you know like we're gonna make apple podcast plus and we're gonna you know what terry gross we're gonna back up the brinks truck to her we're gonna pay her in ipod socks and she's gonna make fresh air plus for us and she's npr is dead to us no no more tote bags no more blood drives and she, and, and now apple podcasts is relying on everybody's free content uh but there's now all this promoted stuff around it and they hope that you subscribe to that and eventually they're gonna try to push all the um ad supported content to the side and they're also gonna talk a bunch of shit about every other podcast that's out there like I mean that that's the part of this that just kind of like annoys me and rubs me the wrong way. But then I mean cuz we're we're bearing the lead here which is that um apparently and I didn't know that you could really do this uh but uh so Spotify uh acquired Gimlet Media which makes a, a few popular shows like they make um Reply All, uh Startup and a few other podcasts people listen to a whole ton. And then also uh our favorite uh the New York Times is The Daily uh with my friend of the show Michael Barbaro. Um that this podcasting app is launching without those because uh, those providers are blocking them from being able to include their feeds. And there's a whole lot of he said, she said about this, which is um, that uh, Luminary only asked to like be able to include them or do this kind of stuff like five days before launch and if Luminary disputes that. But like one, I didn't know that you could actually just say like, oh, yeah, you know what? Like this podcast app, like you, even though our stuff is free and not supported, you don't have the ability to uh, link or host it. Didn't know that was a thing. But also, I don't know. I think that's I think that's great, and I think that's super fun because I like these are all like the New York Times. It's not like the Daily is not a charitable institution. It's a fantastic show, and I really like it, and I've seen it live, and it's it's very good, and I listen every day. But uh, it's made by a company that is try that charges between 15 and 30 dollars a month for subscriptions and uh as net income in the hundreds of millions of dollars or if not billions and they they are a for-profit enterprise uh trying to run a journalism business and then spotify i mean again they have their issues with apple and stuff but they are also trying to make money and i i find it very fun and interesting that they are kind of going to war sort of with a company like this um, over whether or not they should be included and whether or not they should get paid for it. 
in the same way that um like it in cable terms like if 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 like abc7 is going to be retransmitted on uh comcast cable even though it's a free over the air uh channel they still get paid by comcast for retransmission so i in, in the world of podcasting i just find that super super interesting yeah so th- this is what i was asking you about offline before the show because i i hadn't really stopped and considered this before either but if you think about overcast as just like the quintessential example of a third-party podcast app obviously like the daily is available through overcast i mean that's that's how i listen so i guess it's it's sort of the case there that the new york times doesn't really care and actually might even like that the daily is available there because it you know it grows their audience and there isn't really a competing business model because Overcast isn't trying to really like monetize podcasts in any way. It's it's literally just it, it's a, it's a standalone app you can pay for. So is that, is that the case where with all these other third party podcasting apps because they don't have a business model which is sort of in conflict with the with the ads that or with the way that the podcasts themselves are being monetized through ads that they just don't really care so that's that's the thing that i don't know i I would say you're correct in that they don't care just because like um whether or not you choose to use apple podcasts pocket casts um or overcast like i mean the the daily doesn't care just because like those are like i mean the way overcast makes money even if you if you don't pay for it i mean they have really unobtrusive ads that you could that are easy to ignore that are in like the bottom eighth of the screen but like there's no business model and conflict of interest in terms of content creation versus content display and aggregation. So I think that's where the problem where luminary stands, where like somebody downloads it and they're like, Oh yeah, I might want to listen to this Trevor Noah podcast, but also like, I really want to listen to the daily. So having the daily on there now, um, maybe serves some economic benefit and makes it easier for luminary to get business. Because they can advertise, hey, we have all we have a th- free thirty day trial for our own originals. But hey, you can get all this uh, stuff that you know that that daily show that everybody's talking about and that uh, people really like. And you can now listen to Reply All from Gimlet and like that. That's all great. You can listen to all the free stuff alongside our stuff. That to a degree is lending credibility and also is a a draw for customers and a lead generation tool for Luminary. So therefore. Like I'm not familiar with the like the business um, side of it, but like whether or not they're entitled to some type of like licensing agreement, because again, like that's the thing where, where Overcast is not that's not their business model. Where Luminary, if people like the app, there is a high like I mean it's obvious that they want people to subscribe to their premium content. Where Overcast, sure, if somebody happens to choose to give Marco money. Like it's not you're not paying for content that could take listenership away from like ATP or something like he like there's no uh, competition concern at all where there kind of is here. And also like why why should the Times like have to kind of like provide content that helps build up a business that uh, seems um, statedly. diametrically opposed to their business model because like what 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 if your how much do you pay for the times 20 bucks a month like i have the crossword so my thing is skewed 
I think I don't think I pay that much. I think it's like maybe fifteen a month. Yeah, like what if your fifteen a month became like you know you know there's like the New York Times all of like uh, digital, and then there was the digital uh, plus Michael package, and you had to pay twenty two dollars a month. Like what if, what if the Times decides to um, change its business model? Like I mean, like they're not. It's not their job to help another company succeed or legitimize podcasting in a way that doesn't benefit them where the current landscape is that with podcasting being mostly free, like there's no, like there's just no competition that like, it's just like, it's the wild West, but in a good way. I don't know. Like somebody's trying to build a toll road in the middle of podcasting. And, uh, it shouldn't be that daily listeners ride for free. And then one day they won't be able to nicely done. What I do. Oh, the the toll road analogy that was good. Well, from Orange County, that's that's our pride and joy is private, <laughs> privatized freeways because you know why the fuck not. Um, and then real fast, let's just run this out. This is a, this is a big Tesla week. Fewer dumb tweets from Elon. Um, sorry, Elon Musk, not Elon, not not a firm name, first name basis. But there were two big things in terms of either self driving or electric cars. Do you want to real quickly cover uh, automation day or autonomous day or whatever garbage fire he called it? So yeah, this will be a real quick summary because I I don't really think there was a lot <laughs> definitively said. I mean, they they went into quite a bit of detail about their new um full self-driving computer that they're building in-house. I guess I think the the current system is like an Nvidia based thing, but they're going to be well, they are they already have all Tesla's made after some date in either March or April already have this new computer. And for those who have bought the full self-driving package, you're going to be able to just bring your car in and have it retrofitted with the new computer. Um, And this is going to be the required hardware for their, you know, supposed full self-driving package, um, which they had a kind of an air quotes demo of at this event. They had a, like a pre-canned video that they showed. Um, and you know, they keep throwing out like by the end of this year, they're going to have something available, which they're then going to iterate on through 2020, you know, depending on regulatory approval. I I mean, it was kind of, it's the same stuff they've been, you know, promising for a long time now. And I, I have very much the same mentality towards this stuff that I have, um, with sort of the EV market with other manufacturers, which I kind of ranted about a bit last week, which is show me something like execute on something and ship something. Don't just show me a bunch of demos and say, it's going to be out like in the next two to five years. Like I want to, I want to actually see it and I actually want to use it. So Tesla's at a point now with this full self-driving stuff that, you know, they can have all the investor days they want, but eventually they just need to actually ship something and have it work. And it, they're just, there wasn't anything that came out of that event on Monday that made me feel like they're any closer to that. Well, so, so, so yeah, I mean, so, so clarification, I mean, you, you may have just actually said this, but did, was there anything there? Like, cause it seemed like a very highly technical presentation. Was there anything in there that actually adjusted what the expectations are for like, customer facing features and the the rollout timeline of whatever they call it, like full self-driving 
like was any of that talked about or was it mostly like we're taking our chips in-house and we're doubling down on the provably incorrect assumption that um non-lidar self-driving is fine like was it all just chip talk or did they actually say something different about like what customer face uh, customer facing features are going to roll out and when no they didn't they didn't offer any like specific heart dates or anything <sighs> um well they did talk about and i forget what this is because actually i want to put this on the record you put a thing let me go back to pound sign podcast ideas um where is it oh yeah uh, tesla unveils robo taxi plan for self-driving ride share network next year so again i want to go on the record i will eat um an entire bag of your dog's treats if that actually goes through we'll make this a video podcast for the first time i guarantee that's not going to happen in the same way that tesla said you know what we're offering leases but you can't buy the car back because we're going to use all those cars for our um robot taxi fleet no not in the next two years bullshit <laughs> this robo taxi article which i'll also put in the notes you know i guess i i should be clear that there were some notion of dates in this event so specifically um what tesla's saying is that by the end of this year they're going to have and i i cannot put bigger air quotes on this full self-driving in their cars that but that's still going to require driver attention so presumably this is going to be something like what autopilot is today where you know it's constantly checking that your hands are on the wheel but it's going to be able to do you know more stuff just like how they've iterated on the whole navigate on autopilot thing with freeway changes and things like that presumably it'll start doing um traffic lights um automatically you know those sorts of maneuvers and he's saying that by q2 of next year that's when they expect that driver attention won't be required so they are putting out general high level milestones but i i I just don't there's (laughs) there's no evidence that tesla's been able to meet any of their you know deadlines so that's kind of why i'm I'm dismissive of even these like high level timelines that they put out. But I mean, I, I could be wrong, but I thought the whole thing was, um, I, somebody said that like there, there, there was an article about it where like they, they just won't get approval for anything where you don't have to have your hands on them, like that they can't remove those checks. Like, like the cars would get banned off the road. Like there's no way you can't do that. Well, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly. I mean, there, there is like the um, um, Cadillac Super Cruise system, for example, where you don't have to have your hands on the wheel. For how long? Well, so it, it does like eye tracking. So it can, it can see where you're looking. And so that's kind of how it validates that you haven't like fallen asleep. Well, something. sure. But if you have robot taxis you're obviously not look. you can't take over the wheel of the car. So therefore him saying that that that's going to happen. And of course on this electric article, which I, I love this, this slide, uh, enable robo taxi. It's just like, a, it's a two word throwaway line in their master plan. Like he's fucking Batman, uh, in, in parentheses, pending regulatory approval. 
Right. Well, and they also at this event talked about how they're going to come out with revisions of their cars without steering wheels. I mean, it, it's well, wasn't it the whole thing? Wasn't it the point of the Model Three? And that's why it looks kind of weird. Is that they didn't want to have a steering wheel to begin with, but they fell behind on on the autonomous stuff. Right. Mm. Yeah. I, I um. I I I don't. I have no idea what the regulatory process would be for um getting this stuff approved and and again going back to the date thing too it's simple stuff like so that you know there's there's this enhanced summon feature that they've been testing for a while where you know currently the summon feature just allows your car to go forward and backwards but they they've been testing a feature where it'll actually be able to pull out of a parking space and drive up to you as long as you're within like a hundred feet or so. And Elon a couple of weeks ago was like, yeah, it's shipping next week. A couple of weeks later, still not out, no word, no update. And that's a really minor thing, but it's a great example as was the whole model three rollout where everything with Tesla gets delayed. So and 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 this is this is minor stuff. So with with huge initiatives like self driving and this robo taxi thing, I mean, there's no way that this stuff is. Yeah, I would say even three to five years for this stuff would be a really really aggressive timeline. And and if we look at the at the master plan, I would actually take issue with uh, check mark number three. Build a highly affordable car. Like, haven't they done, like, literally everything in their power to make sure the Model 3 isn't as cheap as they promised? Well, no, I, I'll I'll defend them there. You you can technically still, to this day, order the $35,000 That was $37,500 now. No, there is a $35,000 model you can order. You just can't order it on the website. But won't they, like, wasn't the thing that they call you in four weeks trying to convince you to buy the more expensive one? No, they've, they've actually started shipping the $35,000 car now. Okay, and we're calling that highly affordable. I think with the with the, with federal and state incentives built on top of that, I I think the actually they just on upgrade this week throughout that stat. Like the average selling price of a car in the U.S. is something like around thirty thousand, right? So, mm. um, so yeah, I I think I think after incentives, if a Model Three is in the high twenty thousands for a car, that's affordable at best i give them half marks only because like the car came out like it, it's been available for like 18 months right since the first model 3 came out yeah i guess i guess so yeah but you haven't been able to get the one that people that was promised originally of the model 3 being introduced as a thirty-five thousand dollar car again it sounds like allegedly that's actually possible to purchase now but it's only been within the past few weeks that that's possible Correct. So I think that there's like it's it's like a Barry Bonds thing. Like there's like four asterisks on this achievement. Eh, I I don't know. I'm actually willing to give them a little bit of credit on the Model Three where they are now, but it's the delays to get here have been bad, and that's why when you look at the 2019 and 2020 roadmap, like I, you know, take that with a huge grain of salt. Well, and then, and then they, you know, they have the nerve now too. They're saying that the price of the full self-driving package is going to start going way up on May first, which is like, fuck off! <laughs> like you, you're you're not going to get my money 
between now and May 1st for this presentation you did on Monday. Like, there's just no way. Like the, the idea that somebody would look at that presentation on Monday and decide that they want to buy the full self-driving package before the price starts going up in a week, it, that's crazy to me. Yeah, but, he, but uh, Elon Musk said so. Ugh. Yeah, I just... I want to be optimistic and stuff. Like it's just. Oh, I I do too, and I well, mean, but he, but he makes like, it impossible I, to. Yeah, and I I mean like, it's I've I actually been thinking about this a little bit lately. Like we have been really negative on Apple and Tesla lately, and like mm, accurately, I feel like we we accurately. we try. Yeah, we try to bring this up, you know, occasionally. But like, I freaking love my iPhone and my MacBook and my Model Three. Like these are like three products i it's weird to refer to a car as a product but no it is it totally yeah. is um i you know i literally use these every single day and love them i think they're absolutely fantastic but i think when you are passionate about something you also see its flaws a bit more and then on top of that the cultures of the company that produce the products have become a lot more complicated. I mean, Tesla's has kind of always been complicated and Apple's has become more complicated. And that's kind of, I guess that kind of bums us out, right? Because we would sort of just rather be able to enjoy this stuff like without all this extra baggage and aren't really able to. Well, yeah, we won't get into it. It's just for the best. Um, and then rounding out the electric car stuff, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Ford uh, talking about how they feel uh, way more pessimistic on self-driving stuff. Um, and that was a good foil to uh, what Tesla premiered this week. But um, and you'll put a link to the show notes where um, Ford CTO Ken Washington was on a Recode podcast talking about that and also threw a ton of shade at um, Tesla overselling what autopilot or full self-driving actually is. But um, Tesla, or not Tesla, Ford did a big strategic investment of $500 million in an electric uh, pickup truck startup called Rivian. Um, and I guess they are hoping to beat uh, Tesla to market on a um, standard consumer pickup truck. And this car looks kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, potentially. I mean, we'll we'll see if it if and when it actually ships. I mean, I, I, I'm so skeptical of when car stuff like this gets which gets pre-announced we just we just have to we actually have to see it yeah all right anything else cr uh, crucial or no nah? i think that's the that's the big stuff this week yeah all right what you got wait what, what was stacks oh i don't no, know you know you, you put that in there no we'll push that till next week or we'll push it, well, we, we've missed out on the grab bag stuff maybe next week hopefully it's a slow news week and we'll we'll collect all the grab bag stuff and give it out for halloween <laughs> yeah i feel like it's gonna now's the time before the the whole wwdc rush there starts has, this summer which i think isn't there's August, gonna be when when is the slow time there's always like a, a one thing where all the podcasts are like yeah it's a slow week in technology i think kind of like the middle ish of july through the end of august ends up being pretty slow because it's like you get the WWDC rush of news, which ends up being, you know, a few weeks of stuff to talk about. And then it kind of slows down again until iPhone day. Okay. We'll have to bank all this stuff. All right. Chef special. What you got? So I've got a 
documentary for you this week. I know you like a good documentary, Carlos. Heck yeah. So I'll send this to you in the thing. Uh, so this has been one of those that's been kind of making the rounds I haven't lately. looked at you. Is it free solo? It better not be free solo. Oh, ooh. Okay. All right. I did, well, We did watch free solo recently. Really liked it. Hmm. Uh, but this hmm. is... Um, have you seen it? I've heard a lot about it. Are you impressed by the feet or the person? Oh, the no, the guy is a garbage fighter. Is what I've heard. Not not very likable. Well, so then how? Well, then why? I don't understand why people like the movie then. Because the the way it's shot is amazing, and the feet is incredible. But anyway, that's not the pick. The pick is called "The Inventor Out for Blood in Silicon Valley," and this is the story of Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. Which I, I I can pronounce that correctly now because of the documentary. I was really hoping you were going to say Theranos. <laughs> um, you know, this was a story that like I was always tangentially aware of, but just never really paid a ton of attention to. Um, but the the documentary strikes a good balance of uh, going through the details again, but then also providing a little bit more insight and context. Uh, it's really good. It um, it's hard. I I, th- I find documentaries right. It's it's hard to strike that balance of kind of like recapping versus providing original insight. And this is this is a a good half and half, as you would say, between those two things to bring this full full circle, full, full spin drift. Hmm. Oh, is that it? Um. I mean, yeah. I w- watch it. It's good. I've watched it. Okay. So this, okay. you unfortunately created a topic. Um, it was pretty good. So I guess, so have you, have you read John Carreyrou's book, uh, Bad Blood? No. So you should, you should dust off the Kindle. It's a very good read. I'm, I'm three quarters of the way through it. Um, yeah. So do, do you know about Alex Gibney? No. Okay. So Alex Gibney is the, uh, documentarian, uh, who, who did this movie and, or documentary He's the one who did uh, Enron, the smartest guys in the room, and he also previous chef special. There was a um, a Netflix series called I think it was called Bad Money or Dirty Money. It was a six part series. I, I don't know. I feel like he's getting a little bit sloppy in his documentaries, where they're maybe becoming more docudramas, or he's creating. There's like what what did you how how did you feel about the um, like CGI or like the um, like the recreations? of some scenes or like like the supporting imagery do you think over overdone or fine no i thought it was fine yeah i don't know i I found it a little bit overdone like i thought it was it was a decent way to spend two hours and it's an interesting story and and she's a complicated figure and i think it's everybody is fascinated that hmm, how do i say this in a non-problematic way um like i mean there's just so much um interest in her story because it was one of the first widespread, wide-scale frauds um, uh, conducted by a female CEO, where most people wouldn't maybe wouldn't be kind of in this cult of personality, uh, like f- because there's been this documentary, there's been a book about it, there's been two investigative podcasts about it. Like people just love this story, but like there there are shitty con job scam companies done by men all the time, so it's 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 tricky. So the documentary itself is good, but the um, but yeah, I think the CGI is a tiny bit overdone. But I mean, it's included on HBO now, and it's, and it's definitely worth the two hour watch. 
Yeah, and you, you kind of underrated value in HBO. I always forget about this, like their documentaries and such. Well, yeah, you I mean, just you just see stuff come on there, like, and you're like, because that's the thing where HBO is like, sometimes they'll have movies, and you're just like, oh yeah, I wanted to watch that, and that's definitely not something that's going to be on um, on Netflix because it, the the rights cost too much. Right. Um. Yeah. HBO. Oh, actually, let me let me ask you something. Have you listened to Upgrade this week? Uh, yes, I have. Uh, there was an ep- uh, there's a question during Ask Upgrade uh, where somebody asked, like, in five years, what will be the two top um, streaming services? What is your answer? Um, I was surprised by Jason's. Yeah. He, he said Netflix and Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, Netflix and Disney. That is the correct is what, answer. Which is what I thought he was going to what jason was going to say yeah i think he does win on a technicality though i think if you count prime subscribers and just people who have access to it versus people that oh, actually watch sure. it i think that is yeah. i think that's what he was saying but yeah i think disney because eventually like if they effectively bundle um espn plus and find a way to kind of write that sinking ship and um find a way to market the non-disney content and, like if there's some if there's some way they can do like a three-part bundle that gets you Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, and Hulu for all the stuff that they don't want associated with the Disney brand name, I don't know how they would lump that all together, but they can. Like that for fifteen to seventeen dollars a month would be a very, very compelling product. Yeah, and I, I think I think that's exactly the place they're going to get to. Yeah, this is how they separate all the Fox content. I don't know. Um, okay, so I, uh, my pick of the week is going to be controversial, and I'm going to recommend that you hold your judgment because I assume you're going to um, dislike this very immediately. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think I brought it up briefly on the podcast, and, and, and also because of there have been a lot of dumb Jack Dorsey uh, articles this week or this month, this is probably going to have a very negative immediate reaction for many people. So there's an app on the iPhone uh, or on Android, I think, too, uh, called Zero, which is uh, it's a good app. So what it is, and you can go to zerofasting.com. Mm. There's the, there are Q groans. Okay. So, so what's with the hate? I want to know. Just give me your gut reaction of why the hate. I will not be offended. Just because of the way that Jack Dorsey describes his experiences just is. Ugh. But that's like hating. So like the, the internet, because Jack Dorsey is, is a figurehead of it. Don't don't associate the internet with Jack Dorsey. That's a that's 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 an insult to the internet. He is one of the <laughs> insult to the internet. Uh, <laughs> I, I do not think it could be insulted, sir. Um, it's it, that's like saying you hate basketball because you hate Russell Ru- or Westbrook. He's he's a bad person and he's annoying and that team should should move. There there should be the uh, wait. I was gonna make a joke, but New Orleans I think actually does have a basketball team. They do. Uh, Poughkeepsie, the Poughkeepsie Rockets or Thunder, whatever it is. It's all blurring together. But yeah, so there are, there are a lot of dumb tech idiots. Like I, techies ruin everything, but, um, this is actually not that bad of a concept. Like I like, this is not like, have you heard all these people talking about like their dumb keto diets? Like that's hit like a critical mass in the past six months. I I have heard, I have heard of keto. Yes. I, I could, really couldn't tell you much about the specifics or anything, but like, I forget if it's the one where you you eat meat all the time, or you don't eat meat, or you only eat grains, or you eat like a caveman. No, that's that's paleo. Like, th- there's all these dumb diets, which um, apparently, like, I mean, like, in what was the whole what was the one where you're supposed to eat a bunch of meat? 
that was popular like 10 years ago. It was the Atkins. It's like the Atkins, I think. Yeah. But wasn't that like where like long-term studies have been like, oh yeah, sure, you lose weight, but your body actually needs carbs and you're just killing yourself with cholesterol? Right. Like all that stuff eventually happens. So anyway, this app, it's kind of neat and it's something that you can toy around with however you want to because one, it has a lot of educational information in it and it can be used any way you want to and it's dead simple to use. So if you're somebody like me who I sometimes, like especially if I'm having a work from home day or a day off, like I will sometimes overeat like I'll just be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go snack on something, and then all of a sudden I would I would just have eaten like garbage every 15 minutes for like six hours. So I've I've found that fasting is kind of a cool way to regulate that, where you can choose to either like you know what, you just you don't eat between like uh, like seven o'clock and 10 a.m. or whatever. But I will generally do um, an 18 or a 20 hour fast, which effectively means I'm only eating dinner, and for the most part that's fine. And because I'm somebody who responds well to um is it gamified gamified things like trying to not break a streak and um have like a counter going like that actually is a really effective tool for me to stop myself from overeating or just eating garbage in the middle of the day and therefore this has actually been fairly beneficial there's no weird like this i mean like i kind of compare this to like headspace in that regard where it's vaguely a self-improvement thing but you can kind of make it whatever you want it to be like i don't know i think this is an interesting concept and it's co-opted by a bunch of dumb people but it's pretty if it's right for you it could be a very easy way to accomplish this goal and if you do it right and not in an unhealthy way where you don't get all weird about it um it can be pretty great yeah, well, that's it. Th- those are the key things, right? Like, <laughs> everything whatever life, works. Don't be weird about it. <laughs> whatever works for you, that that's what matters the most. But then, yeah, also, like, don't get on Twitter and like start talking about these like weird feelings you have about. I just, ugh, like, I don't know. See, th- things like this to me are very. <laughs> I don't know. They're very personal. So sure. To like. There's there's no right thing for everybody, and that's the thing where like because there was let me find it because like I apologize for extending the show, but there was a really there's a really good hate read for everybody. Um, CNBC Jack Dorsey health. See, I, I know that why you're finding that. I know the real problem I have with it is because he is a person of authority for better or worse, mm-hmm. and so for him to describe fasting in the way that he does and to sort of like set the expectation for it that he does is is just not helpful well yeah because but he's wrong about everything um (laughs) whereas like the way that the way the way that you described this and how it's been personally helpful for you that's that's helpful that's insightful well yeah i mean because it's made me much more conscious about again like instead of me just eating again except for tonight where i just only had rosé and some potato chips uh keep keep that out of (laughs) out of this yeah Um, we'll we'll, we'll cut that out yeah but i mean for me like it's now like i'm like uh, you know what for the most part like rather than just eating a bunch of garbage through the middle of the day or being like oh yeah i'm gonna have a donut or i'm gonna have a bagel with a crap ton of cream cheese um like i'm now much more conscious about dinner and uh because that is the one meal i will generally eat um and like it will now be a much better and nutritional complete meal uh versus just like heating up like a frozen pizza or something so like that's actually beneficial whereas if you listen to all the like either like the the new age health jackasses or the people who are like telling you to go drink soylent like i mean there's you just have to know who to listen to and like just consider stuff for yourself like I say, the same reason why, and I've given you a hard time, 
man, a hard time, but I've been skeptical of it. Of like uh, Kevin Rose, uh, Kevin Roos had a throwaway thing in his um, throwaway line in his like phone addiction article where he had mentioned that um, I pretend to meditate on my phone with headspace like everybody else. And you kind of push back on that. And I think that's entirely fair because like if you're getting what you're supposed to get out of it, that's not the case. But I think for a ton of people, it's a lot of bandwagoning and there's like, yeah, well, I'm being mindful, but uh, really I'm just not on Instagram for like five minutes. So again, it's, it's, it's what you <laughs> right. get, it's what you get out of it. Sure. Like if, if headspace stops you from looking at Snapchat, fucking great. But yeah, if you want to hate read this, you can go to CNBC and uh, there's, they have their make it blog, um, where you know, the keys to being Jack Dorsey are you meditate, uh, meditate twice a day. He walks five miles each way, uh, to and from work, uh, in hilly San Francisco. He takes ice baths. Fuck you. Um, he has a standing desk. Great. Um, and then he only eats one meal per weekday and doesn't eat all weekend. So don't do that. But if you want to uh, maybe experiment with trying to be more in control of what you eat, or if you ever have like self-control problems, give it a try. 